0: Well, I mean, the question you're struggling with is the the question that the church struggled with from the start uh, in front of these texts. And also the evangelists themselves are struggling with the question you're asking, what is affected in Jesus uh, by his baptism?
1: Welcome back to the Theology at the Eucharistic Table podcast with Abba Jeremy Driscoll and seminarians of Mount Angel. Abba Jeremy is teaching four of us seminarians how the celebration of Mass informs our theology, a method which he calls Theology at the Eucharistic Table. And we invite you to join us in our discussions. If you learn from this podcast, we ask you to leave a review on iTunes, to like and share our Facebook page, to subscribe to our newsletter at theology@mountangel.com. That's theology TheologyATMTAngel.com, and to personally invite a seminarian, a priest, a seminary professor, or a close friend to listen to our show. We hope you enjoy.
2: So welcome back to another episode of the podcast. And today we're sort of going to continue with the theme of baptism, but rather than continue our discussion on baptism in the letter to the Romans as St. Paul presents it, and as we've been talking through for the last two episodes, we're going to look at the way that the four evangelists speak about the event of Christ's baptism. So now we're not speaking about our baptism, but Christ's baptism. And there are, as I mentioned, four different gospel accounts of this, and the details are very the different evangelists give us little details that are significant and different and very rich as uh, taken as a whole, but also individually. So we're going to spend this episode exploring those differences, that that similarities. And actually, I wanted to open with a verse from St. Irenaeus. This comes from his third book of Against the Heresies, where he's looking at this event of the baptism. And he says this. So the Spirit of God descended upon him, the Spirit of him who through the prophets had promised that he would anoint him, that we might be saved by receiving the abundance of his anointing. So uh, St. Irenaeus is using the image of uh, from one of the Psalms um, where the anointing oil runs down Aaron's beard, even to the hem of his robe, says the Psalm. So Irenaeus is taking that image and saying that's what happened at baptism. Uh, The Spirit comes upon Christ, the head, but then from that anointing, that overflowing, the rest of the body receives the anointing. So St. Irenaeus sees this moment as sort of foreshadowing the whole of our salvation, the Spirit slowly growing in all of humanity, and it begins for him here at the baptism. Uh, So with that as an introduction, Father, where do we want to start when we look at the actual event?
0: Yeah, and my tendency... uh is sort of, I think all of our tendencies when we think about the baptism of the Lord is to conflate uh, dimensions of the Lord's baptism from the four different evangelists. Uh, That happens with other texts too. We do that especially with our memory of the crucifixion and the resurrection accounts. Uh, But we do the same with baptism. Uh, The value in any of those situations of reading the text, I say discreetly, I mean reading only Mark to see what Mark makes of the baptism and then reading only Matthew to see what Matthew does and, and so forth. What that helps us to do is to, is to in a sense, read the text more closely uh, and to take, it, to take account of the differences theologically, that each of the evangelists does something slightly different with the baptism, and they converge in in our own minds, they conflate them. I think it's natural and good that we conflate them, but I think we we have a stronger sense of it all uh, if we read each one. So I propose that we start with uh, the simplest, the simplest in in any case in terms of material, and that would be Mark's account. And I have here, uh, our listeners can't see it, but you guys can. I have my famous book of the Gospels here that has uh, the four Gospels in parallel columns, so it makes it very easy to to compare, and that's a that's a fun book to to, to read. But let me just read it, it, it's not many verses, but this is what uh, how Mark uh, does it. Uh, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens open and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Now, that's, we recognize that. We're used to it. We've heard that story before. It's really um, worth, Putting that in the context of Matthew's gospel, how Matthew's gospel opens. This is very near the opening of Matthew's gospel. Unlike um, Matthew and Luke, who have long and developed uh, accounts of Jesus' birth. So Mark has no account of Jesus' birth. Mark's gospel begins with these words. Here begins the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In Isaiah the prophet, it is written, I send my messenger before you, et etc. et cetera. And he goes right into John the Baptist. Here begins the gospel. John is preaching in the desert. And then the text I just read you shows us uh, uh, John the Baptist who says, I have baptized you in water. The one that comes after me will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And then... Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. That whole scene. So um, the whole gospel for Mark begins with John's preaching. And and Mark underlines the last words out of John's mouth are someone else is coming. I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So we want to keep account. We want to keep track theologians, we want to keep track of, oh, what's the difference between baptism with water and baptism in the Holy Spirit? And what's the difference? What's, why is Jesus coming uh, to be baptized by John? That's one, so that's context. Um, but what we can notice in the account that is extremely significant is that uh, he sort of you know, uh, plainly says Jesus came and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Uh, the exciting part comes in the next verse. And when he came out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens open, and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. There we see for the first time a word that Mark loves: "Immediately." Okay, he's always he's always saying that word, but but it's 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 to great effect here uh, that there's a there's an epiphany here. There's a manifestation here of who Jesus is. And this, uh, the manifestation is twofold. You have the spirit descending upon Jesus like a dove and a voice from heaven. So you have spirit and in the end, this is going to be the father's voice. And the father's voice is directed to Jesus, not to the bystanders, uh, but to Jesus, and it says, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And with this language, uh, Jesus is identified, the Father is identifying him, and the Holy Spirit is there coming down on him. So that's the material, and it's, it's a lot of material. It's, it's striking as such. So that's what we see in the text itself. Uh, Tell me how it strikes you guys. What
3: what can you do with that? One thing that strikes me is how in in this account it says, um, I guess it's God the Father is speaking directly to Jesus. And I was looking in, um, I believe it's Mark, I mean Matthew, where it says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. But in this account it says, you are my beloved son. Yeah, whom I'm well pleased. So it's more personal and and directly speaking to Christ rather than the the audience. That's interesting.
0: Yeah, and that's that's actually a big difference uh, because what is being revealed here is uh, is an experience directed to Jesus as opposed to just straight out manifestation to others. Mm -hmm where we will see that it's that is even stronger in Luke, by the way Luke contextualizes. Maybe we should get some more material out there. or Let us let me hear you, though, Nelson, and, and Brother Israel, if you have any immediate comments on the market text before we jump around. We are jumping around from text to text, but uh, what do you want sure. to
1: say? Yeah, I guess Caleb's comment actually highlights something that I was wondering about is, does is something affected this may be a this sounds like a silly question as it's coming out of my mouth but if if jesus is Jesus from all of eternity and he he can't be separated from the spirit and from the Father so is some what it what effect what takes effect at the baptism or I guess to contrast it with nothing takes effect and it's in fact only for the witnesses and only for us. And and then, and then what Caleb highlighted points brings that about a little bit that in one text is you are my beloved son, the other text is this is my beloved son. So I don't, I don't think that's right. I think that's going too far on that side, but maybe those are some guardrails. What's, what's happening there?
0: Well, I mean, the question you're struggling with is the the question that the church struggled with from the start uh, in front of these texts. And also the evangelists themselves are struggling with the question you're asking, what is affected in Jesus uh, by his baptism? And then now, 20 centuries later, it's even harder for us because we can't help but think of our understanding of baptism and what it does to us. And so, I mean, that's why you're sort of like, Saying what is affected, Mm -hmm. you know, does does uh, does Jesus need to be baptized? Uh, Mm And after he's baptized, does does he somehow change? Mm -hmm. Uh, Those are, but we have to try to, in a sense, remove. Well, would you say our baptism is different from Jesus's baptism? Mm -hmm. Surely Jesus's baptism has something to do with our baptism, but not just in the same sense that what happened to us happened to him before. Right. Uh, so uh, what is affected? The, in, in some sense, you know, scripture scholars will tell you that uh, there's a kind of embarrassment already in the evangelists about Jesus being baptized by John because there's a sense of Jesus subordinating himself to John. And, uh, but uh, Jesus isn't subordinate to John, and at least in the evangelist's point of view. However, uh, after John's death, uh, John's disciples continued in the culture of Israel, and they were rival disciples of the followers of Jesus after both their deaths. And the evangelists are writing their Gospels inside that context. So that's where you get uh, the strongest of these is going to be John, who who, John the evangelist, who has John saying explicitly, "I am not the Messiah; He is the one." Uh, don't don't look at me; go to Him. Oh, that's 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 John really stressing that uh, even though he may have been baptized by John, uh, he's not in any way subordinate. So we have to try to remove the question: What is affected in Jesus theology, the, as we have it now? We believe in the pre-existence of Jesus. We believe in the sinlessness of Jesus. Uh, those things are not entirely worked out in the evangelist's mind. There's There can be virtually no question, because it's such a strong tradition, that just on a historical level, that Jesus would have been baptized by John. And... That creates so many theological problems for the Christian church in a sense that they wouldn't have ever made up a story like that. Mm -hmm. They just know that it happened, and so they have to deal with it theologically. Mm -hmm. And and that's what Mark is already doing. Mm -hmm. So Mark is dealing with it theologically, and he is showing it as a kind of manifestation to Jesus himself of... His uh, his his sense of self, and the, this this is the, in Mark. This is the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Immediately after the baptism, Jesus is uh, directed by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted, and after that, his ministry begins. So, for Mark, what we have in the baptism is. Or let's put it this way, his mark doesn't go into it. For whatever reason, Jesus went to be baptized along with others who were being baptized by John. And immediately when he came out of the water, uh, he sees something. He sees the spirit come down on him and the father addresses him in a way that somehow had to empower him, and in a way that also reveals who he is. Uh, and that is, if you will, sort of the epiphany moment that launches his ministry. That's the way Mark is is, is using the story.
2: And also I think it helps to remember, I read this really great book on Old Testament exegesis in the New Testament, and it identifies this, it uses this passage here and several others where this first shows up, where Christ is hearing these words directed to him, You are my beloved son. Well, of course, that's from Psalm 2. Um, I think it's, on, yeah, yeah, it's on Psalm 2. Yeah, Psalm 2. Um, the Lord said to me, You are my son. Um, on this day I have become your father. And the author made the point to say, when those words are reported in the psalm, they're reported as something that has already happened. So then he kind of takes that same idea of the timing of the tense and then translates it to this passage and says, here we are listening to something, you know, we're, we're hearing in human words, something that Christ has been hearing from all eternity. How do we know that Christ has been hearing this from all eternity? Well, already in the second psalm in the Old Testament times, we, a, we got a glimpse of that in the psalm you know King David through the Spirit was able to hear that conversation between the father and the son. well now the father and the son are revealed as having that conversation and that's what we call the baptism um, so it, and, I, and, I, and I point that out around the question of well what does this mean for Jesus to have here to have heard this right now is, is this when he became the son of God is this when he became, god um but there's i think there's other ways of looking at it that make us engage with this text but then other, all there a lot of other texts as well um that'll make i think a little more sense of it as well
0: yeah the, the what brother israel said that because this when jesus became god that that's you see this is the trouble that the this text has created for the church through the centuries and the Arians uh use the baptism text precisely to make that point mm-hmm. that at this moment uh Jesus is becomes uh son and is manifested as son and at this moment mm-hmm. he the Holy Spirit. Well the 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 greater church rejected that but on the basis of these same texts the Arians were arguing in that way. Mm-hmm. And so, so uh you know in the end what 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 the church lives out of is an orthodox interpretation of the texts, but the texts themselves don't solve all the problems. Then they create the problems and the church uh, with other instruments, you know, sort of develops a tradition of orthodox interpretation of these texts. Mm -hmm. But the texts are beautiful in their own right, even though they can be interpreted in different ways. But some of the ways lead to, to false conclusions down the line. Right.
1: Yeah, another piece of data here is how the, the catechism handles it. And, of course, it's only a line or two, so it's not like they're exhausting the question. But it says, His eternal messianic consecration was revealed during the time of his earthly life, at the moment of his baptism by John when God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, that he might be revealed to Israel as its Messiah. So he uses first the term eternal messianic or messianic consecration. So that that messianic consecration didn't begin there. It's always been. It's eternal.
0: And that's a very, were you going to say more?
1: and it was revealed at that time.
0: Yeah. That's a very good example, I mean, you expect it of the catechism, of very orthodox interpretation, <laughs> you know, achieved uh, through the centuries. Uh, but it's it's beautiful language because uh, also the language reveal, you want to take that as I've been, I used the, a couple times the word epiphany, you know, liturgically, uh, it's no accident that we celebrate the baptism at, uh, you know uh, seven days after Epiphany uh, in fact you probably know this in the Eastern Church uh, Epiphany celebrates all on the same day uh, the visit of the Magi uh, the baptism of Jesus and the changing of water into wine uh, at Canaan because all of these were epiphanies all of these were manifestations of who Jesus is and um, but anyhow, it, it's one of the things we want to hold on to. Uh, just look, the liturgy teaches us this, is that the baptism of Jesus is epiphany. And that's, that's, that's a part of an answer to your question, too, Nelson. What is affected? Uh, and we would say, really, that's not the question. What is revealed? Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's one of the ways of letting go of that question. Uh, now, Aryans would love to say, "I'll tell you what was affected." It's then that he became the son of God. That was affected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Also, um, I was going to point this out. But I think we should also be careful with the way we phrase. You said, uh, "If Jesus has always been Jesus," but then again, Jesus hasn't always been Jesus because Jesus of Nazareth actually has a. He was actually born at a particular time. So he did this, we, we can see the Son has always been the Son, um, but then the Son hasn't always been in the flesh. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's, I think, an, that's another way the Church Father dealt with this passage, was saying, well, the Son has always been Son, but the humanity of the Son hasn't always been invested with the Spirit. But what I thought...
1: I thought he had come from another planet on a spaceship, and then found the, found by who became his adopted parents.
0: That, that was rejected, Nelson. <laughs> in the second have, century, I might be thinking of Superman. You find Irenaeus against the heresies, arguing forcefully against that. Let's go to Matthew, because what we'll see in Matthew, we'll see more stuff there. Uh, that we're used to as part of the baptism story of Jesus, we would tend to conflate it, and uh, but when we see the material that's in Matthew, we will see that he's dealing with the kind of questions that we're dealing with here, just on the basis of Mark's text. and so he solves it uh, by introducing in his own mind he solves it in any case, by introducing a dialogue between Jesus and the Baptist. We didn't have any language exchange between Jesus and the Baptist uh, in Mark's account. Um, so this is Matthew. Oh, but before we, I'm sorry, before we read that, remember how uh, this baptism of Jesus and Mark's takes place virtually at the beginning of the gospel. He just he introduces the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God right into John the Baptist. And then at, it's at verse nine of chapter one. Jesus is baptized. Matthew gospel uh, begins with a well-developed infancy narrative that goes for two chapters. And uh, the infancy narrative of Matthew, uh, what what both the infancy narratives, Matthew and Luke, are concerned to do is to push the divine origins of Jesus back to his birth which is to say not to start it at baptism. So that's even though the story of Matthew and and Mark, when you put them side by side of the baptism, look pretty similar with a little bit of addition. The context makes it very different because from Matthew, uh, we have heard uh, of the, uh, well, it starts with the genealogy. And then it says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about and uh it tells the story of mary engaged to joseph and found to be with child of the holy spirit so the holy spirit is on jesus from his conception so this is going to make the coming of the spirit at the baptism considerably different and less the theologically problematic and uh, he will be called matthew tells us this he will be called emmanuel god with us and uh So lots of divine stuff around the child. And so all those problems are solved, if you will, by the infancy narrative when Matthew begins his account of the baptism of Jesus. So listen to this. Uh, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Similar, but it really feels different. What did you guys notice?
2: One of the details uh, Caleb already pointed out to was the, the change of address between second person to two It's a third person. And I wonder how that is influenced by the. I don't know if you thought about this, but you'd already directed us to notice the different context in which the baptism narratives occur. Would you have any comments on whether that change of address has anything to do with that context?
0: Yes, I think so. Because I think uh, in Matthew, the concern of Matthew is a manifestation of who Jesus is to the people. And uh, he's he's not underlining as much mm-hmm. as the direct address does an experience for Jesus himself. It's obviously an experience for Jesus himself, but he's not underlining that mm-hmm. in in any in, in any way. So yeah, that's um, that's a, like an accreditation uh, in front of the people, and I I would I would uh, link it with the dialogue that we had. Uh, between john and the baptist because john is saying no this shouldn't happen and jesus says yes it should so the mysterious phrase so that we can fulfill all righteousness and we'll ask well what does that mean that's worth wondering that's a mysterious and not clear statement okay it's not entirely clear everybody argues what exactly it means but uh, it's got this is this is typical of matthew uh, matthew always shows this happens so that the scriptures might be fulfilled jesus did this to fulfill all righteousness and to fulfill all righteousness here probably at least vague you know it's it's a it's a, it's a it means something but it's not precise what it means so it's 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 a it's a polyvalent term uh and that that means there's lots of things it can mean and and that's intentional. But there's something going on here about the meaning of baptism of Jesus as being his solidarity with sinners. And this is beautiful because John prevents him, uh, tries to prevent him, because he, in effect, with that piece of narrative says, you don't need baptism. My baptism is a baptism of repentance. You don't need baptism. But Jesus' insistence reveals him to be somebody who's going to stand where sinners stand. In solidarity with sinners. This is magnificent. And for me, theologically, and the way the church develops it, that is one of the main points of of what Jesus' baptism means. Again, let go of the question, what is effected? by Jesus' baptism, and put in its place what is revealed. What is revealed is that Jesus will be right where sinners are and doing together with them what sinners should do, which is repent and, 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 and thereby enter the, the, the kingdom. So we could say this about Matthew's account. When Jesus shows his determination to be in solidarity with sinners and does the ritual action that is a sign of repentance. When Jesus submits to that, it in effect is a prophecy of his death because that is where he will show himself most in solidarity with sinners. Um, And when Jesus shows himself in solidarity with sinners, the heavens are opened. The Holy Spirit is, it comes down. The Father says, this is it. This is the revelation of the Father. Later in his ministry, in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus will say, I have a baptism to receive and how I long to receive it. And he's not referring to this baptism. He's referring to what this baptism by John foretold And so Jesus said, when he says, I have a baptism to receive, he's referring to his death. So the death of Jesus or Jesus's willingness to go to death is much more clearly the meaning uh, of of his baptism in in Matthew's account. And then this this comes into the mind of the church and the fathers fathers all uh, managed to see that and, and make a big deal of it this is why in patristic theology baptism is so big because it's it's all we could put it this way already then jesus is on his way to death and already then if jesus shows himself to be on his way to death then it's then that the father and the spirit are manifested together with the son it's Let's not miss what we've been saying, but let me know also for people listening to our podcast. This is Trinitarian. This is the first explicit manifestation of Trinity uh, in, in, in these texts. It's, it's beautiful on that account, too.
3: Yeah, this emphasis that you showed, that's different in Matthew, of showing the manifestation of Christ rather than uh, the more personal account of of uh math or mark and luke or it's more yeah. of an encounter between christ and and the holy spirit and the father um it made me think of and you've kind of already touched on it of some of the the office of readings the homilies from the fathers um around the time of the the feast of the baptism of the lord and a little bit before i think it's the week before there's like three or four different homilies about it mm-hmm. and it and, and I thought about these when Nelson brought up the question, like, what, what is happening to Christ at the baptism? And, and you're, you're mentioning just now about how it's more, or another way to look at it is what is happening to us and, and, and the, how does this connect to the, our baptism and the, and the church? And, and I think one of the readings, one of those homilies talks about how Christ, his baptism, he's purifying the waters of baptism for all those that are baptized after him. So that's one, one, one thing to look at. And then another homily emphasizes how Christ's baptism is like, and the coming of the Holy spirit is a, a coming of the Holy spirit upon mankind in general. You know, as as we already mentioned, you know, Jesus is the son. So he's always been in relationship with the father and the Holy spirit, but his becoming man and then in this manifestation of the Spirit is showing how now the Spirit is becoming coming upon mankind as a whole. And of course, that most especially happens in our own baptism. And then you, you, you just mentioned the, the crucifixion as well, the importance of Christ's sacrifice in baptism. So I don't know if that's a, all those ideas are proper understanding, if I've interpreted those right or not, but that's what I was kind of thinking about. Yeah, that's great.
0: No, that that is. That, that's all. That's all right.
3: You, you see,
0: you see how how much is provoked in our thought by 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 these just few verses. It's it's really astounding. On the on the question of
2: uh, you know to fulfill righteousness, thinking that maybe that's actually a concern in Matthew too, because. When we it's in Matthew that we meet Saint Joseph, because he's the one who receives the revelation about the coming of 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 the Christ to be born of Mary. And the evangelist Mark Matthew tells us very explicitly that Joseph was a just man. And you know, it's you know, that justice of Joseph is revealed around the birth of Christ, around the coming of Christ. And then right from the get-go we have death looming over the the child Uh, and then of course here we come to the baptism again there's the question of justice of righteousness john has to be john says no don't do this but jesus says it's for the sake of righteousness and again as you mentioned there's the image of the death that's happening here already Uh, so i'm thinking those two things might be connected for matthew the question of what is justice what is righteousness and death specifically the death of this child or when he was an infant, the death of this man, or the image of the death of this man, at the baptism, and then of course at at the cross.
0: yeah you have um, what Brother Israel makes me think of, you know, just let's let's think again of all that we've heard in Matthew before we get to this scene. I mean, that's what Brother Israel was reminding us of the of the revelation. The Annunciation is called the Annunciation to Joseph. You know, the angel appears to Joseph in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, but after that, uh, we have a, a very strong sense uh, of his name being God with us. That, that's, that's very definitely stressed uh, in Matthew's Gospel as Jesus' name. And then the slaughter of the innocents and his being saved by that, to fulfill the scripture Uh, out of Egypt I have called my son. And then uh, after that we have the, uh, or before that we had the visit of the Magi, very clearly putting a divine focus on the child Jesus. So uh, by the time you do all that and have Jesus come to be baptized by John, you you almost need the dialogue. that Matthew's puts in there that where that John tries to prevent him and Jesus has his reasons for going forward with it. Mm-hmm. So uh that's that's it's worth reminding ourselves again uh where Matthew's gospel goes from here. Uh because uh Mark and Luke do it slightly differently. I mean they all three have immediately after the baptism Jesus goes into the desert to be tempted.
1: I think we're going to get cut off here, so maybe we'll put a semicolon right here and come back in the next session. Okay, that's great. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Theology at the Eucharistic Table podcast. Remember to leave us a review on iTunes, which helps those who are searching for content similar to ours to find our show. To like and share our Facebook page, To subscribe to our newsletter at at TheologyAtMountAngel.com That's TheologyATMTAngel.com And to tell your friends about our podcast, especially the seminarians, priests, and seminary professors whom you know. Above all, we ask you to pray for us seminarians, priests, monks, and professors at Mount Angel Abbey and Seminary and to take the content from this episode into your own prayer. Until next time.